When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just all month, but all all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotel's family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points to your next stay. Find a stay for any of you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And today we're going to be talking about an expedition with a very unusual packing list. Um, some of the items on the champagne, French novels, what else, truffles, silk pajamas. Yeah, they sound pretty nice. We like them a lot. And we think that if we were going to go on a safari or a, a trip, we might bring similar items. But we'd also make sure that our trip was in cars. And that it was also on paved roads, not pack horses in the mud. Unlike the Champagne Safari, which was technically known as the Bideau Canadian Subarctic Expedition. So for all of you people who have been clamoring for Canadian history, here you go. And we'd mentioned Charles Bideau in our podcast about the Nazi king, because he owned the Chateau de Condé, where the Duke and Duchess of Windsor were married. But... His life is far more interesting than just that one small episode, and the safari is part of that. So to talk a little bit about his life before safari, he was born in Paris in either 1886 or 1887 and dropped out of school fairly young when he started working with a pimp. Yeah, he helped the pimp find girls for business, and uh, the guy 
helped him get, you know, wear flashy clothes and learn to fight and all that. Um, until the pimp was shot. And it's hard out there where their pimp, working yeah. relationship ended. And that's when he moved to the United States. He was about 19 or 20. All he had with him was a dollar in his pocket. And so he started working as a manual laborer and then as a dishwasher until he took up entrepreneurship. And he was really fantastic at it, apparently. He sold all sorts of strange inventions, like a toothpaste that removed ink stains. And then he went on to become an efficiency expert. And he worked with some huge companies like DuPont. Yeah, he invents the Bedeau system, and employers and managers love this thing. Employees and unions hate it because basically it establishes a Bedeau unit, which is how much work you can do in a minute. And if you complete 60 Bedeau units in an hour, well, then good job. You've done your job adequately. And you can keep it. So we're really hoping our boss won't pick up on that because I don't even know no. what a Bedeau unit would be How many podcast. podcasts do we do in a Bedeau unit, Katie? I have no idea. <laughs> but Bedeau made millions from this venture. So he was really living the American dream. He'd shown up as an immigrant with a dollar in his pocket. And now he was a millionaire hanging out with people like the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. And working with big companies, too. Oh, yeah. But the money and the famous friends weren't enough for Bedeau. And he needed adventure. In 1929, he was the first man to cross the Libyan desert. He'd sailed the South Pacific, you know, hunted big game, did all those thrilling adrenaline rush types of activities. But then he had a big idea. He's going to go through the Rockies and the Stikeen Mountains to the Pacific from Edmonton, Alberta. So this is a a big trip all the way to Telegraph Creek, British Columbia. And we've gotten different numbers for just how long that was, depending on what we're reading, um, anywhere from 2,400 kilometers to 1,800. So if you've got a more solid number, feel free to send it to us. But this trail hadn't been attempted since the Scottish explorer Alexander Mackenzie did it in 1793. Much of it had no roads at all and was unmapped. But Bedeau said, it's fun to do things others call impossible. So Bedeau brings along his wife, Fern, and his mistress, the Italian-Swiss Countess Bellona Chiesa. The wife and the mistress. It's, Hello. Sounds like an awkward trip already. But yeah. he also had with him a bunch of other people, a Swiss skiing instructor, some cowboys, a dental student, a bush pilot, geologist guides, a surveyor, his pet fox terrier, a gamekeeper, and a mechanic. And lots of cameramen, including Floyd Crosby, who eventually goes on to be the cinematographer for High Noon. And win an Oscar for it. They also brought along with them five Citron half-tracks. They were these all-terrain vehicles that had wheels in front, but caterpillar tracks in back, kind of like a tank. They also brought along 100 pack horses and 15 tons of supplies, some of which Sarah and I had already mentioned. The champagne, candied fruits, French novels, truffles... Silk pajamas, flatware, uh, one pack horse that just carries Mrs. Bedeau, Fern, uh, her shoes, fur parkas, Devonshire cream, and chicken livers, which I think that's the one item I might leave off this list. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like my, my livers. But we were saying this reminded us of the Burke and Wills expedition podcast and all the bizarre things they brought them things with them as well. Things that are unnecessary for your rustic trek across the wilderness. But on July 6th, 1934, they set off for this big trip with all of their stuff. They've got a champagne breakfast and a big send-off in Edmonton in the rain, which also starts off with two limousines escorting them. So this is not just any safari. No. 
Well, they obviously ditch the limos pretty quickly because the roads that they're traveling on are made of something that the cowboys call gumbo. It's more like clay than mud, and it sticks to everything. It's impossible to get through, and it's kind of like a bog. They actually call it muskeg. And these wonderful citrons who are supposed to be, you know, so fabulous and all so terrain all terrain <laughs> don't actually do so great on the terrain. They have to haul them through a swamp. They're so slow. They're gas guzzlers. So things aren't proceeding quite as blithely as you might wish. And it just rains and rains and rains. He should just... Imagine this rain for the rest of the podcast. That's how I feel in Georgia right now, Sarah, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. They do make it through 800 kilometers of mud roads, though. So, you know, despite their difficulties, they make it through. But that's the point when they hit the wilderness, and there are no roads anymore. There are no maps. They're on their own. This is Montney, British Columbia, and it's the last outpost from this depression relief cut trail. So it's the edge of the wilderness. And Badeau turns out to be tough to deal with, perhaps not surprising considering who he is, but he likes, you know, everything done his way. He likes it done right then, even if that's not the way it needs to go. And when he was called on it, he said, this is the sort of thing you must be prepared to put up with when you pack a millionaire through the wilderness, which, you know, I guess he had a point. I'm not going to lie. That kind of reminds me of Gilligan's Island. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking, too. Um, Badeau fires his radio operator, too, which makes his team mad, understandably, because without the radio, the surveyor can't get a Greenwich time signal and do his job. Badeau's comeback for that was that they never heard anything from the radio other than the fact that John Dillinger had been shot. So great. there you go. Yeah, his reasoning. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the Citrons are even worse in the mountains. They're always getting stuck. They're slow. They're eating all that fuel. They decide, you know what? We're going to pull the plug on this whole thing. It hasn't worked out for us, but we're not going to do it just any old way. We're going to go out with a bang. Oh, absolutely. So they get Crosby to start recording and they send one of these vehicles down the river on a raft. And the idea is that it would bang into this cliff that had been rigged with dynamite and then explode. And you would have this spectacular, you know, (laughs) cinematic explosion. explosion. Yeah, it didn't really work out. The dynamite did not explode. And instead, it just kept on going down that river where a rancher found it and drove it for the next 30 years. So not a bad vehicle. And two others were pushed off cliffs and two were abandoned. One ends up in a Saskatchewan museum. You can apparently see it today if you want to. I want to get a sense for the Champagne Safari. I do want to. Uh, Badeau told the New York Times that he'd lost the vehicles in a freak accident, which, yeah. I mean, it was a freakish incident. It would have been pretty freakish. If <laughs> but it not a freak accident. Off, right? So now they've just got their horses. And around August 4th, their 100 horses cross the Arctic halfway river. And then they all come down with hoof rot, which is a really, really painful thing for a horse to go through. And apparently, from what I've read, if I'm wrong, please let me know. Once like a whole herd of horses comes down with it, you're pretty much screwed. If, yeah, if there are just a few, few it, right, you can spreads. treat them with antibiotics, but once it spreads through the whole thing, you're done. Well, for. of course they wouldn't have had antibiotics with them. No, they did have truffles, but <laughs> antibiotics, no. Um, by September 8th, they crossed the Quadacha River and toast with champagne because what do you do when you've abandoned your vehicles and your horses are sick? But it, this is a, blown a little bit out of proportion. They have a case of champagne, which is 12 bottles, and actually one is sadly broken. But still, just something about toasting with champagne at this dire point. When it just became one of 
those moments by which the entire expedition was known when people were trying to paint him as being ridiculous. It was like, well, look what they did with the champagne. I don't know if that's fair or not. I guess we'll see. Because in mid-September, they start shooting their horses. Um, They're exhausted. They're hungry. They've started running out of horse feed. And, of course, they all have hoof rot. And they start shooting two or three horses a day, which takes its toll on everyone in the expedition. It was very difficult. Yeah, and it also gets the wolves' attention. And so packs start following them. And they don't have any fresh meat for themselves. Things aren't going well. And they finally get to the point where they decide... They're not going to make it. They're going to turn around, go back home, even though they're several hundred kilometers from where they wanted to be. So they hire canoes and head back. The funny thing is that when Badeau returned, he tried to paint the expedition as a success, but the public's reaction was more along the lines of, okay, so you spent $250,000 for what? Like, what did we get out of this? It was just an ego trip, right? And after the trip, he got into some... Some sketchy business. For one thing, he arranged for Hitler and the Duke of Windsor to meet, which we talk about in our other podcast. Yeah, and he did business with some pretty shady characters. And um, yeah, any any Nazi connection during this time is rather disturbing. He worked a lot with France's Vichy government. He did one weird experiment in Roquefort where instead of money, he suggested they all use a unit called the Becks. There Which would be was no just defined in his head what that unit stood <laughs> I for. I keep going back to the Bedeau units. <laughs> there was no commerce, and he thought of it, I guess, as, as capitalism within communism. He called it the theory of equivalism, and some have said it was a reaction to to his Bedeau system. It really bothered him how many people thought his system was cruel to workers, yeah. and this was his his answer to that and- more utopian idea. Yeah, I mean, especially from somebody who's coming from such humble beginnings, you can imagine uh, how it would bother him that he was hated by the working man. Exactly. Some of the shady business dealings we were talking about, too, he may have given financial information to the Nazis about the companies he worked for. So, I mean, remember these companies that we're talking about, DuPont and And GE. GE, I mean, huge American companies. Um, And... The Nazi connection goes even further. There's a bust of him shown with those of Hitler and Goring. So not a company you want to keep, no. Mr. Badeau. He also got in trouble for something we have yet to verify. Sarah and I keep finding different accounts. Some sort of trans-Saharan pipeline, either for, we found different things, edible peanut oil, um, actual oil, or perhaps a railroad. But either way, it was to be able to transport things to German-occupied lands. and um, Kind of hoping it's the edible peanut oil. Because that would be more interesting, yes. But he was seen in North Africa drinking brandy with a German officer, and on December 5th, 1944, he was arrested as a collaborator. And because he's an American citizen, he goes on trial for treason in Miami. And while he's awaiting trial, he kills himself with phenobarbital on February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1945. This is where it gets a little crazy again, because he left a very cryptic note saying that he couldn't tell the truth about what happened because of powerful people and said that he was a good American and that he loved his wife. And some think that maybe he was murdered because he wouldn't talk about the wartime activities of certain industrialists or because he couldn't talk about the wartime activities of these very powerful people. Yeah. 
So we have a little history mystery there. Uh, he's ultimately buried in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh, one other sort of strange little factoid about this is some people say that the Citron half-tracks were being tested for military use. So if you know anything about this kind of stuff, please send us an email at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. From what Sarah and I were reading, it sounded like this was a particularly compelling period of Canadian history or, you know, just one of those fun stories that, that people know. So if you know anything more about it than we do, drop us a line. Years after this whole thing went down, film footage from all of these filmmakers who are along on the trip was actually found and a documentary was made. So Katie and I know, I know we're interested in, in checking this out. Oh yeah. Seeing we'll have, this we'll have failed explosion. <laughs> and it turned out the whole thing wasn't a wash. Some of the information from this trip was used to make the Alaska Highway. So it did indeed have a purpose besides the fantastic title of the Champagne Safari. But I think that's about it. And I guess it's time for listener mail now. Sarah and I got a couple of corrections on our Haitian Revolution podcast about Toussaint Louverture, and the first one is from Doug, who might be my favorite because he starts off with small correction, pun intended, and we do love a pun. He says, during Napoleon's autopsy, it was concluded that he was five feet two inches. These measurements were, however, given in French feet, a measure that was slightly larger than a standard foot. Napoleon, in current terms, was about five feet six. And we got another comment on the blog from David Markham, who is president of the International Napoleonic Society, who said the same thing. So we're sorry for saying that Napoleon was short. I would, however, like to say that he is shorter than the both of us. Yep. Still short to us. (laughs) That's our story, and we're sticking to it. So if you'd like to learn more about the Champagne Safari and all sorts of interesting adventure stories, come to our website at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the howstuffworks.com homepage. new indulgent moisture body wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin b3 complex transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturize soft and smooth in just 14 days feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence all pride for the third year olay body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and png's can't cancel pride and supporter of the lgbtq plus community so this pride glow with confidence not just all month but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. 
Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have supervision, enhanced hearing, extraordinary reflexes, to be, dare we say, superhuman? Well, Roku's new Pro Series TV can't do any of that for you. But with a 4K screen, side-firing speakers, and a blazing fast refresh rate, it'll sure feel like it. Elevate your entertainment using all your favorite apps like iHeart and play all your music, radio, and podcasts with the new Roku Pro Series. Your senses aren't better. Your TV is.